Good evening, fellow lover of the strange and unusual. I'm Jessica Hobbs, author of the story you are about to enjoy. This tale is part of my collection of short stories titled The Witch and Other Tales of the American Gothic, an assemblage of strange occurrences across the complicated patchwork of 19th century America, now finally available in paperback. If you have found your way here, you, like me, might frequently find yourself pondering the what-ifs that fuel our deepest fears. What if there really is a monster in the forest? What if the worst aspects of ourselves lead us to our painful demise? What if our mind someday begins to betray us? Today's episode is a tale of love, sacrifice, and of monsters hiding in the darkness. Join us in the epic forests of Puget Sound, Washington, for the story of the Lumberjack. The Lumberjack, Puget Sound, Washington, 1861. The fog was particularly heavy that day. Frederick was new to the Washington logging industry, and the work was hard, but the land was breathtaking. He walked alone through the forest in search of a quiet moment in the nearby river, just outside the bustling mill town where dozens of men lived, worked, ate, drank, fought, and slept. Frederick had worked his way north since his birth in Missouri some 25 years ago, a free man of color but too close to the south for comfort. When his mother passed and his siblings had married and had families of their own, Frederick felt compelled to move north, as far north as he could, figuring he'd feel safer beyond the border should he be lucky enough to make it there. He found farm work in Iowa and Minnesota, then rail yard work in Nebraska, then heard about a booming industry all the way out on the western coast, and figuring it would be in his best interest to make some more money while he was young, traveled out west to find the work and keep close to the border so he could cross it as soon as he felt he could. It was easy to find a job seeing as how the logging companies needed as many strong men as they could find to take down trees of that size. They were far more massive than anything Frederick had imagined. It took a whole crew of men to pull a tree down, strip the bark from the logs, cut it up into suitable lumber, yard them down to the water, load them onto rafts to haul down to the mills, saw them up into pieces, and only then ship them down the coast to California where there was plenty of money for the beneficiaries of the so-called California Gold Rush to order more and more and more and more of it. So here Frederick found himself, trudging through the mud that could get to be knee-deep through the trees that nearly touched the gray sky. And it was at the river that day that he met her. She was a native woman who lived nearby with the rest of her tribe, who often came down to the water to trap salmon, and who was familiar, though not friendly with some of the men who came and went from the mill town near her home. But she didn't know him, and in a rare moment of extroversion, decided to tell him her name, a pony. It's beautiful, he said with the deepest sincerity, refraining to add that she herself was every bit as beautiful as her name, even though he wanted to. 
She lifted the basket full of fish to her hip with no effort at all. Who are you? She asked, and Frederick realized he'd been too distracted by the sound of her name to give his own. Oh, my name is Frederick. I'm very pleased to meet you. You're a logger? She asked, and he nodded. How did you find yourself here? I arrived a few months ago and went to inquire for a job. The boss asked me my name, and I told him. He asked, what's your last name? And I said, I don't have one. He asked how that could be, but I didn't feel particularly inclined to tell the man I have one all right. I just don't like to use it because it wasn't mine to begin with. Some old white man had given it to some of my kin who then passed it along to me. He didn't know us, and as far as I was concerned, I didn't need to go about introducing myself by the name of a man I will hate until the day I die. So, I answered him with nothing more than a shrug. He blinked at me while he decided whether or not to argue, and he chose not to. Last name or no last name, he hired me on the spot. It was the first time he had told anyone those details about himself. It was the first time anyone had asked. And here you are, she said, concluding his story for him. And here I am. He could tell that she was like him in a way. That she also observed all that was going on around her with a kind eye and chose not to speak too much. Simply because most words didn't always need to be said. And above all, because she enjoyed the quiet. Frederick enjoyed the quiet, too. The work he had done throughout his life usually involved large teams of men and plenty of noise, especially now that he was logging up in the Northwest. And that was acceptable to him because it had to be. Sometimes he would join his fellow workers at the tavern after a hard day's work. But more often than not, he chose to sit alone and admire this beautiful corner of the world where the trees and the sky and the ocean all met and the air smelled of salt and the cool mist of rain washed away the sweat from his forehead. He hadn't intended to stay here for very long, but the idea of staying put had occurred to him once he realized he found a certain peacefulness in the fortress of the Washington Woods. And when he met her, the decision was set. The border was close if he ever changed his mind, but she had people here and didn't want to leave, and Frederick respected that. He knew it the first day they spoke by the river, that the peace he felt with her was something special. That she was something special. That she would be worth sticking around for even if he didn't like it here, which fortunately, he did. Months later, she told him that soon, their roots would grow deeper. Soon, they would be a family. Then there was a tiny boy who reached for him and smiled and giggled every night when he came home to the cabin they shared who fell asleep in his arms in the rocking chair he made for him out of excess wood from the job site, and who slowly learned to call him Daddy. Frederick's love for all of it grew deeper by the day as he watched her care for their son. Her family accepted him as one of their own. And even on the tough days when his work had left him battered and exhausted, he knew what awaited him every night when the sun set over the sea. He knew he was home.
Three years had passed since Moses was born. They named him after a man Frederick had never met, but had heard of many times in his home county. George Moses Horton, the Black Bard of North Carolina, as he was called. A poet who had published a number of works even though he lived in slavery. The circle of life had long ago decided that a father could not live to care for his son forever. And in a world dominated by white men with money, his son needed to grow up brave like the bard. But for now, the boy was little, and need not be concerned with the injustices of the world. Frederick would shoulder that burden for him as long as he could. Bobby was the one who told him about the war. He was a man about Frederick's age who worked alongside him, and though Frederick was not generally the talkative type, he enjoyed Bobby's company more than most. He was funny, but not in the way that felt desperate for attention. He was the kind of man who made every person feel like they had a special rapport with him, inside jokes and banter that made the heavy workload feel just a little bit lighter. And then came the news about the war. Until then, it had been easy, or at least, easier, for Frederick to keep to himself and not think about the atrocities in the South. But now a nervousness possessed the back of his mind every day. If the South won, that would be that. The North would not try again, and slavery would forever be the law of the land. Bobby must have seen it in Frederick's face, because without a hint of humor, Bobby leaned into him and said, The North will persevere. I do believe it. And if they don't, Southern men won't come as far as here. And if they try, we'll take care of it right quick. Then the workday went on, like always. Today, the men needed to find a new spar tree to attach the intricate web of ropes and steel pulleys used to move the heavy lumber from one spot to another. Ezra was the climber this time, and after a quick inspection of the base to be sure the tree was sturdy enough, Ezra climbed all the way up with the saw in his hand, and got to work on cutting off the limbs at the top of the tree. Frederick hated watching the climbers, but he couldn't help himself. The sight of them so high up in the air made his insides churn, but he had to watch to make sure they were doing okay, and to keep an eye out for himself, since standing at the base of the tree wasn't much safer. The falling branches were called widow-makers, for darn good reason. He tried to think of something else besides Ezra's place atop a 40-foot Douglas fir, or the war that ripped through half the country. His gaze drifted out over the magnificent woods. The clouds were starting to part, and a little bit of sunlight began to shine through. The trees were never so beautiful as they were when the blue sky surrounded them. A loud cracking noise jolted Frederick back to the moment, followed by a horrifying scream. A good third of the tree had broken off at the top and came tumbling down with Ezra still holding tightly to it, and it was falling straight towards Frederick. Frederick leapt out of the way at the last possible second, and both the tree and Ezra hit the earth so hard Frederick was sure the men could feel the tremor all over the mill town. He looked up at the tree to see that the inside was black with rot. Their inspection had been a failure, and without even having to look at the man's broken body beside him, Frederick knew that failure had cost Ezra his life. As his heart beat in his throat, he thought nothing of the crippling pain that had almost afflicted his body, and only of the split-second decision that stood between this tree and a lifetime of poverty for a pony and their son. It was tragic to see a fellow man perish so brutally, but it was not uncommon. Logging was dangerous work, and everybody knew it. 
but if they wanted to make a living, it was a risk they all had to take. All they could do about it was promise to take care of each other's wives if an accident should claim their lives someday. A drink at the local watering hole followed the day's tragedy. Frederick usually preferred to go home to his family and avoid the drinking, gambling, and inevitable fighting that always seemed to happen there. But tonight was different. It was a break from the usual rowdiness. A show of solidarity and respect for a fellow working man that Frederick hoped would be shown to him if the day ever came. Bobby was close to Ezra, closer than he was to Frederick or anyone else, so Bobby volunteered to tell Ezra's widow, and no one argued. Bad news just didn't feel as upsetting when it came from a man like him, with his unreasonable optimism and his way of looking straight into a person's eyes and making them feel as though they were the only thing in the world that mattered at this moment. But after today, Frederick reckoned that the usually jovial man wouldn't be the same. It was dark by the time Frederick walked home through the woods. The summer waned. Soon the sun would set before the day's work was even done, and the moisture in the air would find a way to creep under his clothes and freeze him from the inside out. Their cabin was at the very end of a long line of wooden homes for the loggers, the farthest from the job site and the closest to the forest beyond it. Some nights, Frederick walked the long way around rather than pass by everyone else's homes, preferring the crunch of the dried mud to any accidental eye contact with his neighbors. Figuring he had spent enough time with them today, he took the scenic route, walking behind the cluster of cabins rather than through it. It was darker tonight than he had thought, though. It wasn't too cloudy, but a new moon meant no light shone from the sky to show him the path. It didn't matter. He knew the way and was close enough to the cabins to see the faintest bit of lantern light burn through their windows. A noise from the forest stopped him. He was no stranger to animals in the woods, but this noise was loud. A heavy grunt followed by a deep growl, and it was close, far too close for comfort. Too close to outrun it if he had to. Frederick slowly turned to face the aggressor, and there a bear stood, staring at him. He froze, barely even allowing his eyes to move as he scanned his surroundings. The most important thing was to make sure there were no cubs nearby, since nothing would make a mama bear feel more threatened than the thought of her cubs in danger. Frederick could certainly relate to and respect that fear. Sure enough, he could just make out the shape of a bear cub at the base of a tree. Only the cub wasn't moving. It appeared to be dead. The mama bear looked at him with heavy eyes and seemed sad, but at the same time, she was out for blood. Whether the cub's death had anything to do with Frederick or not, he still might pay the price for it if the bear decided to attack. He took a tiny step back and the bear grunted. He took one more and she let out a low growl, a warning for him to stop moving, or else. Frederick could hardly tell if someone had whispered it right in his ear, or if the wind was playing a dirty trick on his mind. It wasn't a word so much as a feeling. His heart beat faster behind his ribs, and though it was as dark as it could ever be in the woods, a part of him somehow felt exposed. Frederick stood there, frozen, eyes locked with the bear, doing his best to tell it without words that he was not a threat, and that she simply needed to go about her business, and everything would be just fine. 
He was ready to run if he needed. He was ready to calmly back away if he needed. But he was not ready for the loudest shrieking noise he had ever heard in his life. His hands reflexively flew to his ears to cover them. The bear ran fast back into the woods, but the shriek came again, immediately followed by a cry of pain coming from the animal and the gut-wrenching noise of bones breaking. Blood splattered across Frederick's face and chest and dotted the ground all around him as though something had shaken the bear as hard as a wild dog would shake a dead raccoon. He could scarcely see a thing, but knew all he needed to know. Whatever that creature was, it was hungry, and he wasn't about to stick around to be deserted. The next day was a rough one at the camp. The rain came down hard all day long. The men were still shaken by the accident the day before. And to top it off, Bobby had not been heard from since he went to deliver the sad news to Ezra's widow. Frederick's mind leapt to the worst case, that perhaps Bobby had found himself in the same path he had in front of that awful thing in the woods. But he kept his thoughts to himself lest he cause a stir for no reason. Bobby was probably just sick at home or sleeping late after having a few beers at the dead man's memorial. No one would benefit from worry just for worry's sake, so Frederick thought it best to focus on the day's work and leave it at that. He took a moment to inspect the broken tree that had taken Ezra's life. The black rot had nearly consumed the whole thing from the inside out, and all that hard work, and even losing Ezra, was worth nothing at the end of the day. Without having time to mourn, the men needed to start over again with a different spar tree, and some other poor climber would have to get up there and perform the task that had proved fatal for one of their own the day before. This time, the climber was a man who went by the name of Brisby. Frederick didn't know him well, but he worried for the man all the same, and could barely bring himself to look as Brisby climbed. Frederick and a few others cleared the widowmakers as they landed in the mud, and laid out yards and yards of rope to tie around the spar tree then prepared to lay out the planks for a skid road to help the oxen drag the logs down the hill. It was light work compared to bucking a fallen tree as he usually did, but the work wore him out all the same. Exhausted, Frederick trudged home in the thick mud that splashed all the way up to his chest, and he was reminded of the blood that had splattered across him like this the night before. Suddenly consumed with worry once again, he decided to detour to Bobby's cabin on his way home and look in on the poor guy just to be sure he wasn't suffering from anything more than a slight hangover. Hey. Bobby. He shouted, banging on the door. You home? No answer. Convinced he would have seen him throughout the day if Bobby had bothered to leave home, he entered without invitation, figuring Bobby might be resting, but it was worth disturbing him if it meant his mind would be at ease. You awake? The cabin was quiet but it was also a damn mess. The cot Bobby slept on had been turned over and ashes spilled out the open door of the wood stove. Bobby, what's going on here? A tiny whimper came from a corner behind a wooden chair, and Frederick followed the noise to find Bobby wrapped in a blanket, huddled in the corner and shaking like a mouse about to be squished by a snake. Bobby's eyes snapped up to meet his. What are you doing here? You miss work today. 
Bosses won't be pleased when they hear about it. Good news for you, isn't it? Huh? Plenty more work for you if I'm not around. Frederick noticed an empty whiskey bottle on the floor. Come on, Bobby. It's been a hard couple of days, but you got to get up now. He reached for his friend's arm, unprepared for a sudden burst of strength to overcome Bobby as he shoved Frederick away from him as hard as he could. Frederick landed with a thud among the mess of cookware on the floor. Get out! I see you watching us every day. The quiet one. The one nobody would ever suspect, right? Planning your move. Letting us come to trust you so you can take us for all we got. What are you babbling about? I was born here. This land doesn't belong to you, but here you are. Taking out jobs, taking our money. All of you lazy bastards flocking here to where you don't belong. Thinking you can strike it rich just because you can swing an axe and taking men like me for a fool. I don't want your help. Nobody wants your help. He wrapped the blanket tightly around himself again and shrank back into his corner. In a split second, he'd gone from shouting awful things to uncontrollably sobbing like a baby. Frederick wondered what to do. He didn't want to leave his friend in such a pitiful state, but there didn't seem to be much point in staying here just to be screamed at. If Frederick had to manage a child's tantrum, he'd be much happier to go home and be with Moses. So Frederick dusted off his hat and walked out the front door to do just that. The next day was worse. The rain came down even harder. And even though Brisby had attached the block to the top of the spar tree the day before, one good yank on the rope caused it to come tumbling down and crash onto the ground so hard it made a crater at their feet. Another close call. A younger man named Pete seemed to be even more nervous than Frederick. He stood off to the side of the ruckus and tried not to hyperventilate. Another man, Ace, wasn't so calm. He confronted Brisby and started screaming at him, taking off his hat and throwing it to the ground. Hey, hey, hey! Frederick interjected. Take it down a notch, will you, Ace? It's wet and slippery. Brisbane didn't mean to do anything wrong. Take a breath. He noticed Pete nearby, shaking from nerves. Better yet, take a walk, both of you. Get your head right. Then we can try this again. Don't you go thinking you can tell me what to do. Ace snarled at him and Frederick got the message of what he really meant. No matter how cooperative these men were with Frederick on the surface, it was always there. That ugly sense of superiority on their part that gave Frederick every reason to think any one of them would turn their backs on him in a second when the chips were down. Still, Ace knew the suggestion was a good one, and put his soaking wet hat back on his head for some stubborn reason, then ventured off into the woods with Pete on his heels. The rest of the day was a bust. Four men short, since Bobby still hadn't come back either, and defeated by the relentless rain, the men hadn't succeeded in their task, and the tree looked just as it had the day before. Hours later, when Ace and Pete still hadn't come back from the woods, Frederick decided it was time to have a talk with the boss. Uh... 
Come in, the boss logger instructed. His office was small, but warm. He wore a nice wool suit that Frederick envied, standing here in his work boots, soaked to the bone. Now what can I do for you? Frederick. Frederick what? Just Frederick is fine. Just Frederick it is, then. So, Frederick, what brings you to my office? I'm worried about the crew, sir. Now, is this about the accident earlier this week? No, sir. Not exactly. I believe something dangerous is out in the woods. <laughs> well, of course there are dangerous things out in the woods. Everybody knows that. Something else, sir. Not just a wild animal. The other night, I saw something rip apart a bear like it was no more than a rag doll. Yesterday, a man, well, he changed somehow. I don't know why exactly. And today, two men went for a walk in the woods and never came back. Now, what did you see? The thing that ate the bear, what was it? It was dark, sir. I'm sure I don't know what in the hell it was. I just know it was big. A bigger bear, then? I've never known a bear to ruthlessly attack one of its own. Few animals do that. Except for men, of course. The boss logger shrugged. There are plenty of wolves, mountain lions, all kinds of predators in these woods. My suggestion is that you and the rest of the men avoid venturing out there alone, especially in the dark, as you have... Keep focusing on your work. About the work, sir? Today wasn't especially fruitful. Between the rain and being shorthanded. What do you mean, shorthanded? Why? Like I said, we have a man dead and a man indisposed and two more missing. That's only four men. The rest of you should be able to handle it, and if you can't, perhaps this just isn't the profession for you. Frederick squeezed the brim of his soaking wet hat. Water dripped into a puddle on the floor of the office. Tell each of them to pull it together and get the job done tomorrow. I'll be by to check your work, and in the meantime, stay out of the woods. Frederick had nothing left to add, and he'd had enough conversations like this one to know when something was a dead end. Declining to argue any further, he nodded and left to head home for the day. His mind was preoccupied with worry all through supper. Not even the smell of freshly baked bread and salmon on the plate in front of him made him feel any more at ease. He hadn't planned to tell a pony, but she knew him too well and pried it out of him. So he told her everything, realizing mid-sentence that all of it, but especially the encounter with Bobby, had shaken him up more than he'd realized. She looked him straight in the eye when he spoke, as she always did and listened to every word before reacting to any of them. A sign of love, if there ever was one. There are plenty of stories about beasts in the woods around here, she said once he had finished his tale. We all heard them as children. She noticed the tension in his body and placed a reassuring hand on his arm. They were just legends. 
Our parents would warn us about greed or anger corrupting our soul and tell us we'd become monsters with a taste for human flesh, expelled from our tribe and doomed to wander alone in the cold woods forever. So the monsters were men once. She shrugged. Their story's meant to teach us that the woods have their secrets. They can love you, they can protect you, or they can kill you. Well, how do you know which? What's found in nature is found in men. All things beautiful and all things bad. If you do your best to do right by the land and by your people, the woods will do right by you. Frederick considered this. So something might look for the bad in a person. But can something in the woods change a person? It didn't eat Bobby. It just made him different. Maybe. Or maybe nothing made him different, and it's just the grieving. Pain changes people all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it does. She moved closer and leaned her head up against his. If you think something bad is out there, something probably is. Go back and see Bobby again. See what he knows. You can't handle it if you don't know what it is you're dealing with. The orange glow from the wood stove shone on the side of her face and brought out the many shades of brown in her round eyes. She could be a few miles east with her people, and he knew she missed them dearly. But here she was in this little cabin with him. Those brown eyes were his whole entire world. From the moment Frederick approached Bobby's cabin, he could feel in his bones that it was colder inside than it was out in the rain. The door was ajar, probably still open from when Frederick had run out the day before. Bobby? I'm coming in. We need to talk. The inside looked exactly the same. A disaster. Dark. Freezing cold. It didn't look as if Bobby had bothered to light a fire in the wood stove overnight. It was so quiet, Frederick thought for a moment that the cabin was empty. Until he heard a grunting sound, and his blood ran cold. The animal was here. A heavy footstep, then another. He backed away slowly, but did not make it out the door before it emerged from the shadows. It was hideous. The kind of creature that only forms in a man's darkest nightmares. It walked on two legs like a man. It had two long arms like a man. But it was abnormally tall. Its massive frame hunched under the ceiling. Its backbone was razor sharp, protruding from its skin. And its eyes were a shade of black so deep, Frederick wondered if it had eyes at all. Or if it just had two holes in its horrible face. Windows to the dark nothingness of the creature's very soul. At the top of its head was a cluster of antlers, all tangled together like a hellish crown of thorns. Blood dripped onto its snout from its forehead where the horns met its skin. Its entire body was a pale blue, so blue it was almost white, as if it were made of ice. Worst of all, 
It held a bleeding red mass in its hand. A muscle. A heart. Blood dripped down its chin, and Frederick realized that it had been feeding on something. And unless the creature had thought to drag the remnants of the slaughtered bear or some other prey into the cabin, that something must have been Bobby. The creature looked straight down at Frederick in a terrifying standoff before it inhaled a huge breath and shrieked louder than any noise Frederick had ever heard. And Frederick ran faster than he ever thought he could run. came back for Bobby, he said as he burst into the cabin. It came back and ate him. Grab your coat and your warmest boots. We need to run. Slow down. No time. Let's go. Now. He picked up Moses, who fussed and squirmed in his arms, confused and scared. A pony reached for the child and Frederick handed him over, deciding instead to rifle through the cabinets and take any food he could find. Where? Anywhere. Be with your family, I guess. No, what What if it follows us? Oh, we need to be alone. We can't just run away. We damn well can, and we damn well will. My people are here. Your people are here. These men are not my people. They'll need to look after themselves. A pony stomped her foot to the floor. Stop! She cried. Moses burrowed his face into his mother's shoulder. We don't know what we're running to. Out there alone, it could be worse. What if there are more? And we'll have other monsters too. Bears, mountain lions. No shelter, no food. I won't take my child into the woods to freeze to death in the rain. Stuck between a rock and a hard place was where he suddenly found himself. He knew she was right. But if his life as a nomad across the continent had taught him anything, it was that if you're too close to danger... It was best not to linger until the danger found you, and it'd be too late. I can't protect us from this. It's too big. You don't have to do it yourself. You can't do it yourself. Tell the others. Whether you think of them as your people or not doesn't matter now. We're safer together, and you know that's true. And he did know it. But somehow, it scared him more than the thought of facing this thing alone. Mustering up the gumption to explain all this to a crew of men, most of whom Frederick hadn't even spoken to once before, was an uncomfortable feat, to say the least. The crew did not expect the quietest man of them all to come running over the hill, screaming for help, that was for sure. They watched him tear down to the site, sliding in the mud and shouting at the top of his lungs, and surely did not know what to make of it. Standing at the ready to pull down a beast of a spruce tree, a few of them even felt annoyed that Frederick was late but whatever misgivings they'd had at first disappeared when they heard the confusing tale. 
They were going to laugh him right off the job site. Frederick was convinced of it. And then what? He'd be left alone to battle this monster, whatever it was, and would most likely lose. Hell, even if he had just gone crazy and imagined the whole thing, he was probably out of a job. It took an eternity for someone to finally pipe up. I just knew something awful happened to Pete and Ace, said Brisby. It ain't like them do a better in their post like that. A young man named Burke nodded, even though at the tender age of 18, he hadn't been here long enough to know what was usual for Pete and Ace or what wasn't. But he still had that youthful hunger to work hard and prove himself, so vanishing from a job was something that wouldn't make sense to him at all. Another long moment passed without a word just the noise of rain pummeling the already enormous puddles at their feet. So what, then? Frederick asked, impatient. You believe me or don't you? The men looked at each other. One of them shrugged. Well, said a man whose name Frederick did not know. I sure haven't seen nothing like that before. But these woods are dangerous. So whatever it is, a monster like you say or some wild creature that wandered here from some cave, it's causing a problem. It almost don't matter where exactly it is. The man looked back to the huge spar tree, fully loaded with the heavy block and the web of ropes intended to move some of nature's most powerful creations. I reckon we could use this to try and take it down. The others nodded in agreement. They all looked to Frederick as if to wait for his approval of the plan. He nodded surprised by how easy the conversation had turned out to be. Okay, we can do that, was all he managed to say. a tiny sliver in the sky, hardly casting any light onto Frederick as he sat alone on a cold, wet tree stump. Frederick knew that the men were all putting their reputations on the line with the boss logger for putting off the spruce for a whole other day. And he also knew none of them had seen yet what they would be dealing with. For those reasons, Frederick was the one to sit outside in the freezing cold and act as bait. He didn't know a whole hell of a lot about this thing, but since it first found a bear grieving for her cub, and then came for the broken shell of a man who used to be Bobby, Frederick figured it looked for pain. If pain was what it wanted, pain was something he had to offer. The rain stopped and the forest was quiet, save for the sounds of the owls and the hunt for critters that scurried around in the brush. And it was in that quiet, a space Frederick had so frequently found a sense of safety, that he now went all the way to the deepest, darkest corners of his mind. The corners he hoped never to show to Moses. The night a group of men rode by his childhood bedroom carrying torches and threw bricks into the window, laughing, drunk, and finding the terror of a young child to be the funniest thing they'd ever seen. The ghastly imaginations of the war. The fear that lived an inch beneath his skin at every moment, that pushed him to move farther and farther away from the horrible things that happened to men who looked just like he did. 
and worst of all was the fear that something would happen to his child. That happy, innocent, chubby little thing that knew nothing of life aside from playtime in the mud puddles outside and falling asleep to the sound of his mother's lullabies. It felt like hours that he sat there, alone, wondering if the men would bother having his back or if they would just leave him there to become the creature's next meal. Frederick's breath hung in the air. His eyes felt heavy and wide open at the same time. Then, a growling sound. He stayed perfectly still and waited, and waited, and waited for it to creep just a little closer to him. It emerged from the woods, snarling, groaning, hunched over with the weight of that enormous tangle of horns on its misshapen head. Its black eyes focused on Frederick, who had to fight every single nerve in his body not to run as far and as fast as he could from this hideous thing. It stopped and stared. It took a deep breath and shrieked like a banshee, its shrill cry carrying over the cliffs and straight out to the ocean. Go! A voice shouted from the woods. The men all snapped into action, emerging from their shadowy hiding places and scattering to their posts. Brisby ran to the base of the spar tree and set out a bunch of ropes. Burke ran in a big circle and set out several lanterns so that most of the men, six of them at least, could run to the big log they had rigged up in preparation for this. The men pulled on a long rope as hard as they could to raise the log high in the air. But it was heavy. The first man at the head of the line lost his footing and couldn't stand up straight in the mud anymore. He fell to his side and let go of the rope, causing two more men to trip over him and almost drop the log before it was ready. They were scared. The creature knew it. It turned to see them sliding around in the muck and took a heavy step forward, and Frederick was struck with the thought that he didn't know a handful of these men, and in a matter of moments, he may never get the chance. Oh! shouted Brisby, who ran away from his post near the spar tree and scrambled to help them. The monster breathed deep and grunted at the men. But then, as if it had heard Frederick's own thoughts calling to it to let them be, it slowly turned its attention back to him. Frederick stood up and looked into its eyes, as dark as ever, even in the soft glow of the lanterns that surrounded them. It was so tall, taller than it had seemed when it was freshly fed and hunched over in Bobby's cabin. It looked at him. It studied him. Frederick felt that time had stopped. Nothing in the world existed but the terror he felt in this moment. It opened its mouth wide, baring its hideous, tangled teeth, when the log came swinging like a pendulum toward its back, crashing into the creature and knocking it over to its side. Drop it! Brisby yelled, and everyone let go of the rope, causing the log to plummet downward. It landed on top of the fallen beast and pinned it to the ground. It struggled and screamed and thrashed its head from side to side. Brisby ran fast back to his assortment of ropes at the base of the spar tree, tied a lasso and threw it to Frederick, who then threw it toward the monster's neck. His hands shook and he missed. The rope landed in the mess of horns, causing a violent tug-of-war between the two of them as the beast thrashed under the weight crushing its pale body. Frederick managed to pull the rope back and try again with a bigger loop. Then again. Then again until it finally landed in a circle big enough for its entire head, and Frederick could pull the rope tight around its throat. So heavy and so powerful the creature was, Frederick hardly kept himself standing upright sliding around in the mud and not daring to let the rope slip out of his hands. 
the monster's ugly shriek became a tiny, high-pitched yelping noise. Frederick pulled tighter and tighter until its body stopped moving, and its eyes gazed gently up to his. Suddenly, it was still. But the creature wasn't dead, not yet. He could tell by its breath in the cold night air. It wanted to speak with him. Careful not to let go of the rope, Frederick inched closer. Stay back! Grisby cried. It's almost dead. Yank hard, snap its neck. Frederick just stared at the monster in the dim lantern light. What the hell are you waiting for? Grisby yelled, but Frederick gave no response. When he approached its face, a whisper came to him, even though the monster's mouth did not move. Frederick asked without having to speak. I am the earth. I am the place where your darkest thoughts go when you peacefully sleep at night. I am darkness itself. Why do you harm us? It lunged for him, but barely moved under the crushing weight of the log, causing it to squirm in frustration. You cannot have it. My heart is not mine to give. My heart belongs to those for whom I would do anything, even die. I will not die for you. It groaned and closed its eyes. Frederick stared down at the monster, its face covered in mud and its black eyes slowly blinking at him. You say you feel yourself rot. When the rot begins, death has happened already. You stay alive by feeding on pain. I could keep you alive. But instead, I will let you rot. Frederick reached deep into every muscle of his body and yanked on the lasso with a force he had never known. The entire crew heard the bone snap. The monster went limp. Before their eyes, its body began to decay, melting into the mud and leaving behind a broken skeleton underneath the heavy log. The rest of the crew crept up to it with a cautious curiosity. After a long moment of silence, Grisby gently placed a hand on Frederick's shoulder. Go home. The rest of us will get set up for tomorrow. You did good tonight. The bodies of Pete and Ace were found torn apart the next day, but thankfully, they were the last. The monster had been hungry. If Frederick hadn't seen to it that the monster was taken down, there's no telling where the killing would have ended. 
the life of a logger was hard enough, and on some nights when Frederick couldn't sleep, he wondered if more of them would come looking for the pain that lingered beneath the surface of so many men, especially his own. But months passed, then a year, then two. Life in the camp town wasn't perfect, and some days it wasn't even good, but it was all right. And if that were to ever change, Frederick had worked hard enough in his life to know that he could take care of his family just about anywhere if they needed to leave again. Moses was in school now, and spent his days learning to read and write. Days off the job site were spent visiting a pony's tribe or teaching Moses about the forest they called home. Those were the best days, when it was just the three of them outside, when the boy's wonder slowly turned into familiarity, and a confidence began to build once he knew how to handle himself out here. It wasn't an easy life, and it never would be. For now, though, the woods were still, their son was happy, and their home was safe. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of The Witch and Other Tales of the American Gothic. Special thanks to our amazing voice actors, Daryl Lathan, Michiana Elise, Angela Cohen, Scott K. Leslie, Benedict Mazurik, and Ian M. Walker for lending their talent to these characters. Thanks to our friends Brian Taylor, Joe Carrillo, and Dara Stone for their support. And of course, to my favorite composer-slash-audio-engineer-slash-human, Robinson Hobbs. For more stories from The Witch and other tales of the American Gothic, subscribe to our podcast or check out the book at jessicahobbswrites.com. Join us next time as we sink into the deep, dark recesses of the earth, and indeed, of our very own minds, that threaten to swallow us whole, venturing into the mountains of western Colorado for the tale of the miner. See you there. <laughs>